0: No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That is right at the heart of what we want to see this morning as we turn in our Bibles to the book of Galatians. And I uh, invite you to do so with me as we continue this series we began last week. Uh, And you might remember if you were here with us last week that we looked at Paul's opening greetings together, where he announced who he is, Paul, and who he's writing to, uh, the Galatians. But he also summarized the good news of what God has done, announcing a salvation that was from God because of the work of God to the glory of God. And right from the start, Paul fixed our eyes squarely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, on God's undeserved kindness towards us through Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And that was the foundation that Paul laid for us last week in the first five verses of this book. Uh, But now, Paul's going to turn to his central concern for the Galatian churches, a concern which involves their departure from this truth. And so, if you would, follow with me as we read Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. This is God's Word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father, I pray that you would use these words this morning to draw our hearts and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen. In the first century in the Roman world, there was a man named Quintilian and he wrote uh, a book called The Institutes of Oratory that was considered the gold standard, if you will, for how to speak well and write well in the ancient world. Well, Pastor Phil Reinkin notes that if Paul had been a student in Quintilian's classroom, and if Paul had submitted the book of Galatians, this letter to Quintilian for an assignment, he would have gotten a very bad grade. Because... Quintilian wrote that a speaker should not open a letter or a speech in a wild or an exclamatory fashion, but should endeavor as far as possible to win the assent of the man considering the question by a courteous and natural opening. Well, Paul dispenses with any courteous or natural openings and opens in an exclamatory manner. His first words after his greetings are, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Uh, And I, I wonder what the Galatians' response was when they first opened the scroll and saw those as the first words of Paul to them. They might have taken it rather hard that this is Paul's first thought of them. But Paul had good reason for starting this letter out with pointed concern. As we discussed last week, there was a group, the circumcision party, if you will, who were apparently successfully convincing many in the Galatian churches that in addition to trusting Christ, they also needed to be circumcised and to keep the Mosaic law, including its dietary laws. And Paul tackles that challenge head on in these verses this morning. Because Paul's main point in these verses, the main point of these five verses, is that to abandon the gospel of grace in Christ is to abandon God himself and his salvation. To abandon the gospel of grace in Christ is to abandon God himself and his salvation. And as we look at these verses, Paul really addresses three questions. First, he looks at what is at stake for the Galatians in this issue. Second, what is the standard the Galatians should use to determine truth? And third, who will the Galatians serve in their allegiance to the gospel? So what is at stake, what is the standard, and who we serve? These are the three questions Paul addresses, and I want us to look at this morning. We start in verses 6 and 7, where Paul addresses what is at stake for the Galatians. Paul says that he is astonished that the Galatians are so quickly abandoning the gospel they heard from him for a different gospel. Now, he clarifies there's not actually a different gospel. Gospel means good news, and there's not multiple good news to choose from here. There's one good news, and the Galatians are at risk of abandoning that. Now, maybe we should start by just reviewing for a minute what that gospel of grace in Christ was that Paul had preached. And we have a pretty good idea of what it was because Acts chapter 13 records the entirety of his first sermon in Galatia in Antioch of Pisidia. And there in Acts 13, Paul had proclaimed, God promised Israel a Savior through the line of David, through David's offspring. And he said, Jesus is that promised offspring who went to death on the cross and was raised from the dead by God himself That we might receive forgiveness of sins and redemption through faith in Him. And Paul announced that everyone who believes in Christ can be freed from everything from which they could not be freed by the law of Moses. Well, what could they not be freed from by the law of Moses? the law of Moses could tell you what God's will was. It could hold up a mirror and show you your sin when you failed to keep God's law, but it had no ability to free our hearts from our commitment to or our slavery to sin in self. It had no ability to heal the separation from God that had occurred because of our fall into sin. It had no ability to resolve the condemnation That our sin and disobedience deserved. No list of rules or way of life was able to do that for those of us trapped in our own sin, dead in sin, as Ephesians 2 says. But the good news of God's grace is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ through faith in him, thanks to his death and resurrection for us our sins are forgiven because His blood was shed for us. We are reconciled to God and made new by the power of God's Holy Spirit, not because of what we do to be worthy of it or to achieve it, but because of what Christ has done to accomplish it for us. That was the gospel that Paul preached in Acts 13. But in came the circumcision party, and they had a slightly different message. And I want you I want you to put yourselves in the Galatians' shoes for a minute. Paul says that they abandoned this quickly. That means it hadn't been very long since Paul had been there preaching the gospel. And you can imagine, can't you? Here are these Galatians. They just heard the gospel from Paul. They're brand new to this faith. And in come a group of guys who say, "'Yes, Jesus is the way to salvation.'" forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. We're so glad you've received the gospel, Galatians, but there's one thing you haven't heard yet. See, we've known God's word our whole lives, and you're new to this uh, faith thing, and what you need to know is that all through God's word, it says that to be in relationship with God, you need to be circumcised, and you need to obey the law of Moses. So it's great, Galatians, that you've started with faith in Jesus, but now you need to do more to make your salvation sure or complete and if you're brand new to the whole thing that sounds somewhat reasonable doesn't it i start by faith in jesus he forgives my past sins but now i keep the law of moses as god's always said to i get circumcised i do the dietary laws and that's how i stay in fellowship with god but paul says no absolutely not that's not what we preached to you Acts 13:33 or 39 was very clear. Paul announced a gospel through faith in Christ which would free you from that which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. This is why the gospel is good news. It's good news of what God has done for you by sending Jesus to the cross and raising him from the dead that you might be forgiven of your sins and accepted by him and made new by him through faith in Christ. The good news was not that Jesus forgave you your sins and gave you a second chance to try to keep all the law perfectly. Not at all. Now, I could imagine someone saying, all right, Paul, I see the difference you're making, but this is really kind of a small intramural debate, isn't it? I mean, we're all talking about Jesus, and the question is just, you know, what do we believe and do after that? And Paul says, absolutely not. This is not a small debate. This is everything. We're talking about a different foundation for our acceptance with God. And here's the distinction Paul's making. He says, we can either attempt to overcome sin through our obedience, through our efforts, through our ideas, through our way of life, or... We can resolve the problem of our sin by trusting in Christ's death for us and his resurrection. If you are trusting Christ, then you are not trusting your works and obedience to the law as the ground of your acceptance. If you are trying to use your obedience and your works of the law as the ground of your acceptance before God, then you're not trusting Christ. So it's one or the other. And there's a lot at stake in this difference. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. He says, if you decide to rely on keeping the law, you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Do you notice he doesn't say you're abandoning the gospel? He does say that, but it's not all he says. He says you're abandoning him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, to shift your doctrine here is actually to desert God himself who called you. The gospel of grace was God's plan of salvation to bring us back to him. And to abandon that plan is to abandon him. And I was thinking of it this way this week. Imagine that you were talking to a woman and and a man had come who loved her and had given her a ring to engage her to himself in marriage. But a couple of days later, the, the woman took the ring off and, and threw it away and, and and received a different ring from someone else and put that on her finger and said, and she said, look, the two rings look almost exactly the same. There's just a little bit of a difference in the setting, and, and I like this one, and so I'm going to wear this one. And we would say, no way. The difference isn't just a little difference in what the ring looks like. You took off and threw away the ring that the man who loves you gave you to engage him to himself. And you put on a different ring from someone else. To reject his ring is to reject him and his offer of marriage. And I think Paul's saying something similar here. He says if you reject the gospel that was from God through Jesus Christ, the one God announced to you, if you reject that and abandon that gospel... You're rejecting God himself and his plan of salvation. But that's not all. We're not just uh, deserting him who called you. It says you're turning to a different gospel, though there is not a different gospel. The consistent testimony of the Old Testament is that keeping the law of Moses can't save you. We saw Israel try and try and try again, but we are dead in our sins and the law could not resolve the problem of our hearts. Paul says Christ came to free us from that which the law cannot save us from. Christ alone is able to wash our sins away. Christ alone is able to free us from slavery to sin and self by sending His Holy Spirit to live in us and to make us new and to reconcile us into union with God. And if we exchange what Christ offers For trying to live a certain way or keep the law of Moses, we lose the only thing capable of saving us. In other words, as John Stott put it, to declare that obedience to the law of Moses is necessary for our salvation is to deny the sufficiency of Christ's work and to diminish the glory of Christ and all that he accomplished. And it is to abandon the only name under heaven by which a man might be saved. So yes, if God himself and the glory of Christ and the eternal state of your souls are up in the air, a lot is at stake for the Galatians, abandoning God himself and a different gospel, which is no gospel that can't save you. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and thinking, okay, that's a great history lesson. Now I know what happened in the Galatian churches, but I'm not really facing any temptation to change my diet to the Old Testament dietary laws. So what is the application here for me? Well, let me mention a couple. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Or maybe maybe you're still a bit skeptical of Christianity or, or hesitant about Christianity. And if so, it is important for you to understand this morning that the invitation that God holds out to you in the Bible is not an invitation to be in church more or to follow certain rules or to live according to certain patterns in order to be accepted by Him. Now, the gospel is going to change your life. Absolutely, it's going to change your life, and the second half of Galatians is going to talk about that. But it is not about fixing yourself or living differently. What God is holding out to you in the Scriptures, what God has given you through the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, is first and foremost and above all what God did for you out of His grace alone and His love for you in sending His own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins and that He raised Jesus again from the dead that you might have new life in Him by the power of His Spirit bringing you back into relationship with him if you trust Jesus for your salvation. So if you're new to Christianity, you need to know what's being offered to you in the gospel. But maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? And the answer is plenty. Because just like 2,000 years ago, there are plenty of false gospels running around these days. And just like 2,000 years ago, those preaching these false gospels aren't going to walk in the room with a, hi, I'm a preacher of a false gospel name tag on. They're going to come in talking about Jesus. But they're going to be talking about Jesus in a way that does not accord with the one gospel that God announced through his apostles in the word of God. Perhaps they will talk a lot about Jesus, but they'll say, of course, Jesus wasn't actually God he set the example for us for how to love everyone and if we love everyone like christ loved everyone then god will accept us and that is a false gospel because it is based on our ability to love in a certain way for our acceptance rather than on what christ did for us or perhaps they will say you know your salvation depends upon fulfilling this list of rules or your salvation depends on the depth of your passion for god well, both of those are shifting the ground of our salvation to something in us rather than what Christ has done for us. In, in our day today, churches on both the left and the right may abandon the gospel for issues of culture and politics because it's a very short step from talking about how a Christian should live as a follower of Christ to making Jesus my ally in pursuing social justice or making America what I think it ought to be. And the key point is, if you are trusting anything other than or in addition to Christ and his finished work on the cross for your forgiveness of sins and your acceptance of God, whether that's church attendance, being a good person, or some other thing, how much you serve, you have adopted a different gospel than the gospel of Christ through God's grace. And if it seems narrow that we would make such a big deal about this difference and how important it is that we are looking at Christ alone, then let me again appeal to John Stott's statement. A different version of the gospel is not God's salvation, meaning that the glory of Christ and our eternal souls are on the line. And that's a lot that's at stake. Well, we needed to spend the most time on that first question in verses 6 and 7, but let's move on now to verses 8 and 9 where we look at the second question Paul addresses. What is the standard for the Galatians? How are they to know what is true or not? I mean, they're they're new to this faith, and there's these various uh, uh, preachers and teachers running around, and they might be saying, well, how do I know what's true and what's not? And you might expect Paul to say something like, well, guys, it's very simple. Jesus appeared to me, so I have the truth, so just listen to me and don't listen to them, and you'll be fine but that's not what Paul says. Not at all. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, even if we ourselves, even if I or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in case that didn't sink in, he repeats it again in verse 9. Verse 8 is hypothetical. If anyone should preach to you an alternate gospel, let him be accursed. Verse 9 is actual. If anyone is preaching a gospel different than what you received, let him be accursed. Do you see how Paul does not make himself the standard? And isn't it so easy for us to let our loyalties shift from God and his word to the person who's speaking his word? How many times today do we see sort of cult personalities who gain a great following Or people who say, well, I'm not sure exactly what's true, but I just listened to that preacher and whatever he says, I know, I know I can trust him and it's true. But not even the apostle Paul was willing to claim that authority for himself. What matters is the gospel he preached at the command of God through the commissioning of Jesus Christ. As one commentator put it, the gospel preached by Paul is not the true gospel because Paul preached it. It's the true gospel because the risen Christ gave it to Paul and he proclaimed it. The last week after our congregational meeting and we talked about some of the grievous uh, sins that led to the resignation of the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church a man in our church came up to me and he said you know we as a congregation have the responsibility to be bereans to search the scriptures to watch what is being taught and how it is being lived and to hold it up to God's word and to call you out if you depart one iota from the word of god what a great word that is because we we long to be trustworthy and faithful to god's word here at westminster but we aren't the standard god's word is and you should trust what you hear from this pulpit only as it accords with god's word not because it was preached at westminster the standard is the word of god but I want you to notice that Paul goes even further than this. He says, even if an angel from heaven shows up and speaks to you, if it's contrary to the gospel you received, you should reject it. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that an angel from heaven would kind of be the pinnacle religious experience of your life. I mean, if anything would convince me to believe something, an angel showing up and talking to me would surely be it, right? Well, as uh, Tim Keller summarized these verses, he said, what Paul is saying is if an angel shows up and says something to you not in accord with this gospel, kick the angel out and hold on to your Bible. What a great, what a great statement. Because, you know, even Satan can use mystical experiences. Experiences and emotional highs are powerful. Even even miracles can deceive. You remember how Pharaoh's magicians in the book of Exodus did miracles and yet they were deceiving. Deuteronomy says to watch out for false prophets who even come with signs and wonders and yet don't speak according to this word that you have received. What makes sense to us is hard to shake. I mean, how many times have I heard someone say something like, well, I just can't imagine that God would do X. X. But to all of these, Paul says again, it is not what sounds true, what feels true, what I'm told by someone uh, uh, impressive is true. No, there is only one standard of truth and one revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is found in the scriptures, in the apostolic deposit of truth, commissioned by Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and announced to us for our salvation. It is the gospel of grace, in fulfillment of the scriptures, based on the work of Christ for us, received by faith in him. That's the standard. And anything that departs from that standard is to be rejected so strongly that Paul says the one who were to preach a different gospel ought to be accursed. He stands under judgment from God. Well, that's what's at stake, and that's the standard. But finally, look at verse 10 with me, will you? Here Paul addresses the third question. At root, behind these issues, is the question of who we will serve. See, it seems that the critics in the circumcision party were accusing Paul of being a classic people pleaser. And you can understand, if you review the book of Acts, why they thought Paul was a people pleaser. Because we learn that uh, when Paul took Timothy along, he had Timothy circumcised when he was ministering among the Jews. But then he took Titus along and he refused to have Titus circumcised when they were ministering among the Greeks. And we read that Paul went to Jerusalem and he kept all the details of the Mosaic law when he was there in Jerusalem. But then he went out and was eating with the Gentiles and he refused to keep the Mosaic law when he was eating with the Gentiles. And so you can see the circumcision party saying, Paul, truth is not relative. Truth doesn't change And if you're going to do one thing in this setting and one thing to this setting, you're just trying to please whoever's around you. You're pleasing man, not God and his word. It's a weighty objection, isn't it? And so Paul looks to answer that question. He says in verse 10, Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, the root issue of what we do in life comes down to who we are trying to please. And who we are trying to please in life, who we serve in life, will dictate what we do. See, what the circumcision party missed is that Paul wasn't flipping back and forth from one truth to another based on what was pop- popular. Paul was holding Christ first, and the gospel is primary, and other things as secondary that didn't matter. And he was doing everything he could not to build barriers to the one thing that did matter, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul explains himself in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 and following. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I came as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And here's what he says in conclusion. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them blessing. See, the circumcision party had it backwards. For them, the law of Moses was the fundamental thing, and they served the law of Moses. For Paul, the gospel was the fundamental truth, and he was happy to eat or not eat, circumcised or not circumcised, so long as it did nothing to take any focus or reliance off of Jesus Christ. And the minute trying to keep the law or circumcise displaced the sufficiency of Christ or our gaze from Christ, he opposed it because his first loyalty was to the gospel and to his Savior Jesus Christ. And that really is the key for each of us as it was for the Galatians. You will try to, who will you try to please? Which means the real question for us each day is who am I serving? Is being accepted and liked by particular people our highest priority? Are we trying to please those who we fear or who might cause trouble to keep things moving smoothly? Will we try to please ourselves that things would be comfortable and go well for us? Or are we trying with all that we have as our greatest yearning and desire to please Jesus Christ? I might suggest I was thinking about this uh, as one who grew up in the church. Most of my friends were Christians. I grew up in in a Christian home. And I would suggest that if that's the case for you, surrounded mostly by a Christian community, that sometimes this choice and this loyalty is masked for you. For me... My parents thought well of me and my friends thought well of me when I was living like a Christian. And so pleasing my parents and my friends and Jesus seemed like they went right hand in hand. Or maybe you might say, well, hey, I'm living as a Christian and going to church and life is going well for me. So I will keep doing that so that life keeps going well for me and my own comfort and success and pleasing Jesus seemed to go hand in hand. But at some point, the Lord is going to bring you to a decision point. At some point, our loyalties will be tested and what I want or is best for me or what my friends want or what culture presses on me and what God desires for me in Christ will be different. And we will be faced with the real question, who are we trying to please? And that ultimately is the question for us. If we are trying to please man, we will be willing to fudge on the truth in order to please people or avoid rejection. But if we are seeking above all to please Christ, then nothing in the world will matter more to us than the smile of Jesus. And nothing will satisfy us more than obeying Jesus. And no sacrifice or loss will matter compared to the delight of serving Jesus. Not because we're doing that to earn his favor, but because he's the one who loved us first, because we were bought with the price of his blood, Because through all that he has accomplished for us, we can be forgiven of our sins and adopted as God's sons and daughters and remade in his likeness for a future in glory with him forever. And that's why we desire to please Christ more than anything else. So yeah, it's true. Paul started out this letter a bit hot, but in the end, his concern was for the glory of Christ and the salvation of those he was writing to. And that led him to speak strongly and clearly to call them back to find their resting place in Christ alone by God's grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And may that be our resting place this morning. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is all in all. Father, we are so prone to try to please someone other than Christ. Those around us, ourselves and we are so prone to try to rely on ourselves it gives us so much more control when we know what we have to do and we just do it and if we do these things we're good and yet those are not good news because they cannot rescue us from our sin oh lord may each of us direct our gaze to jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of god and father may our trust and rest be in him the Westminster pulpit.